0: Edward, if you'll come ahead. Edward will be preaching this evening for us. Next Sunday evening, we will have a missionary here with us, uh, and we will look forward to hearing from him. Uh, and then when we get into de- later into December on the 9th and the 17th, we have Christmas musicals and things like that. Uh, but, Edward, I appreciate you filling the pulpit this night. Thank you, Pastor. Well, it seems appropriate that since it's Thanksgiving weekend, we should talk about our gratitude and thankfulness to our Savior, The Apostle Paul's letter to the Colossians will be our inspiration. Uh, Now, of course, Paul wasn't thinking of our Thanksgiving when he wrote that. Uh, He had more important things on his mind, Uh, in addition to the small fact that he was born some 1,700 years before America was born. Um, 2023 is 160 years since Abraham Lincoln declared that this would be a national holiday, Thanksgiving. And it's 402 years since the pilgrims landed and celebrated the first Thanksgiving. Um, Paul, in his letter to the Colossians, uh, identifies eight references to the person or work of Christ. And all of that in three or four short chapters. We're going to look at Christ, Christ transcendent, Christ as our Savior, Christ as our mystery, or rather Colossians calls him the mystery of God. And we can understand that because none of us, as well as we might know the Lord in our years of salvation, come to know him, read his word, it's still a mystery, Uh Who really is God and how did he just speak the universe into existence? And how is it possible that God became a man? And how is it possible that God loves me? It's all a mystery. Um, Then Christ, our hope, Christ, our glory, Christ, our completion, he completes us. And that, in turn, brings us to our identification with Christ and our thankfulness for Christ. So we're going to take a closer look in a moment at what Paul says about each of these great truths. But first, we've got to acknowledge that outside of our faith community, there lurks in every atheist mind and in every backslidden sinner's heart uh, an instinctive and intense dislike for Jesus Christ. And it stirs them to question him, to mock him, and ultimately to reject him. Unbelievers will acknowledge any God but Christ uh, and show at least minimal respect to the followers of false deities, up to and including worshippers of Satan. And if you've been paying attention, Satan worship is becoming a big thing in America. But the true God cannot be tolerated. In Paul's letter To the Romans, he notes that God deniers have no excuse for rejecting the creator. His his fingerprints are all over creation. Uh, His eternal power and divine nature is clearly seen. They know God, but they refuse to glorify him as God, All Paul notes, to give him thanks. Uh, That's in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. What I'd like to do is just look at the legacy first of Christ before we get into those uh, eight references to him. Uh, And Pastor presented us a good condensed package this morning of Christ and his association with the West, Western Europe and North America, and how Christianity literally changed the world. Um, And it's not appreciated quite as much as it should be. In fact, in our day, it's hardly appreciated at all, and that's by design. There was a time when Western Europe and later North America changed the world. Do you realize that the modern world we live in, with all its wonders, all its technological advances, all its prosperity, all its wealth, Western Europe and North America are the wealthiest countries in the history of the world, the freest countries in the history of the world. And it's all because they were founded on the basic principles of Christianity. This book was their guiding light. Um, Back in the 1500s, we had the Enlightenment from about 500 years after the birth of Christ to about 1500 years after the birth of Christ. We had something called the Dark Ages. That's when the Catholic Church, after the vibrant growth of the New Testament Church, through the preaching of the apostles and then the natural growth of the church in the years that followed up until about 500, uh, when the Catholic Church started to get an iron grip on Christianity in Europe. From then on, we entered the Dark Ages where the Bible was restricted, the truth of God was restricted, and an idolatrous anti-God religion grew up that nearly destroyed Western Europe. Then came the Enlightenment. God, in his sovereign majesty and wisdom, uh, decided that it was time for the light to shine again. And we had an explosion of knowledge, an explosion of morals, of hope, of theories of how to live that turned out not to be theories but wonderful principles to form great societies. And that happened all over Europe. Um, Christians were the ones who abolished slavery. Now that you won't hear anymore. Christians are blamed for everything. Christians abolished slavery. Slavery is still present in this world, in parts of Africa and in the Middle East. Muslim countries still practice slavery. It's not talked about, but it's true. But in the Christianized West, slavery disappeared. Uh, Christians acknowledged the dignity of the human being, the dignity of the individual, and particularly after thousands of years of human history, the fact that females, women, were the equals of males and should be accorded the proper dignity that went was, would be associated with a child of God. It was Christianity that do that. It was in Christian nations that women first got the vote. This was a gift of this book and what is taught in this book about uh, the transcendent nature of God and the way he views human beings and the apex of his creation, men and women. Um, So slavery went, uh, um, uh, women became equals with men. They always were, they just weren't acknowledged. Women were treated as cattle, as possessions, up until the time the gospel finally broke through and gave them their proper place in God's creation. And then a sore point with with people today is the fact that Christians are backward and uh, uh, untaught and want to take us back to the dark ages. And they've suppressed in great measure the fact that Christianity was the source of everything the Western world values today. Just one important aspect, the impact of Christianity on science was vast. It's been forgotten that Galileo, best known for his contribution to astronomy, who improved the science of motion and mathematics, born in 1564 at the dawn of the Enlightenment, died in 1642, was a God-lover, acknowledged Jesus Christ, He was part of the Catholic Church, but he acknowledged God. So Isaac Newton, the most famous name in physics, the father of modern science, he lived from 1643 to 1727, uh, was responsible for developing calculus, classical mechanics, the laws of motion, the laws of gravity. Newtonian physics is acknowledged by everybody today. and In fact, it was Newtonian physics that took the first astronauts to the moon. Without his uh, um, breakthroughs in physics, that would have been impossible. It, New, uh, Newtonian physics is what makes it possible today to aim a rocket at Mars, and it will get to the right place. This is what, and by the way, he was a deeply devout Christian. Christian, not just somebody who acknowledged God. He said this about gravity. Gravity explains the motion of planets, but God set the planets in motion. Great quote. You'll never hear that in the public square. Gregor Mendel, not a very well-known scientist to us, was the father of modern genetics. He was a Christian, 1822 to 1884. Louis Pasteur, I'm sure you've heard of him, pasteurized milk. Uh, the developer of vaccines. He lived from 1822 to uh, 1895, and he was a Christian. George Washington Carver, have you heard of him? One of the most famous scientists in American history. Born as a slave in America. His parents were slaves. He had a very rough childhood. Eventually, slavery was abolished in America. Carver somehow Acquired an education for himself at high school, then went on to college. A black man in America. The ones who are supposed to be oppressed and suppressed by white people, by the evil white people. George Washington Carver became a great scientist, uh, developed um, the theory of crop rotation, and as you probably all know, 30 uses for peanuts, including peanut butter, which... Why anybody eats peanut butter, I don't know. But Carver developed that. Um, He lived from 1861 to 1943. And by the way, slavery was abolished by the West. By the West, by America and Britain, abolished slavery. And a former slave got to be a highly respected scientist. He pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. Nobody stopped him from getting to where he wanted to be. Albert Einstein, you've probably heard of him. Now, Einstein was not a Christian, but he did acknowledge God. He was a Jew, and he, of course, is the father of quantum mechanics. Lived from uh, 1879 to 1955. This is what he said about creation. The universe could have been chaotic, random, and ugly, and yet we have this gorgeous synthesis at the origin of the universe itself, giving birth to the galaxies, planets, DNA, and life. The harmony I see could not have been by accident. Einstein said that, and he was right. It's not generally known or appreciated that between 1900 and 2001, 56% of Nobel laureates in the science field So 50% of scientists who were recognized as Nobel Prize winners, 56% claimed to be Christians. 26% of the balance claimed to be Jews. And the inspiration all came out of one book for those men. I mention all that just to say that God instinctively is understood by this present evil world that is falling away from the tenets of Christianity so quickly. Man is emboldened to the point today where he feels safe to throw off the shackles of Christianity and acknowledgement of God. But they have no excuse for God denies or rejecting him because his eternal power and divine nature, Paul writes to the Romans, is clearly seen in creation they know God, but refuse to glorify God or to give him thanks. Paul said a long time ago, and it's true today. Romans 1, 20 and 21. To them, Christ is simply too close and too demanding. He's the God who came to us, and he doesn't give us any room to declare ourselves God or to create our own little kingdoms. Eternal submission as the only way to approach him is too high a price to pay for those whose only acceptable God is self. Price is just too high. And it's a sad fact that even those who claim him as Lord and Savior may also at times see him as too demanding. And you know, God is demanding. You may have noticed that if you walked with him for any length of time. God, as I mentioned recently, gave all of himself to you and me. And he expects nothing less than we give all of ourselves to him. And until we understand that and acknowledge that and strive to walk that way, we'll be miserable Christians. This is what Isaiah had to say about people in his day. I have nourished, this is God's view of the Israelites back then, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people doth not consider. And that is very true of large swathes of Christianity in our day. It's bad enough that uh, atheists and agnostics God deniers, reject him, but for Christians to take him lightly is a terrible sin. Okay, the bad part is over. What if those of us who don't strive to disprove him, don't struggle to reject him, don't try to protect their ego from him, but simply surrender and receive him? What if the hungry beggar who has nothing to offer in return for God's glorious favor but deep submission and eternal gratitude. What of him? The good news is that the indwelling presence of Jesus Christ makes true Christianity unique and forever satisfying. It's the one truth that is both life-affirming and life-transforming. Every time I hear some tin pot commentator talk about life-affirming things, how people with weird ideas about themselves just want to affirm their own identity. I remember that my God is transformative and life-affirming, but the cost to you and me is total surrender to him. He lifts penitent beggars above this present evil world to an alternative universe where nothing is familiar but the love of God, and when we get there, it will be instantly recognizable to us as if from the longings of a half-remembered dream. Oh, we'll know him by his love. So let's turn to Colossians now and look at the glorious things that are spoken of God in this one little letter. We'll begin with Christ transcendent. And we're going to start reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 to 19. This is an extraordinary passage. He begins by saying, giving thanks unto the Father, this is Paul writing, which has made us meet or qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now I know we're very familiar with this passage, but Listen to what these words are saying. Let them impact you. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's translated us or transferred us, transported us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Hallelujah. Who is this amazing God? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. And listen to this next verse. He's transcendent in every possible way. By him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. If that's not a transcendent God, there is none. And he is the head of the body. Sorry, verse 17. And he is before all things. And by him, all things consist. He literally holds the universe together. Hebrews 1.3 says the same thing. He stands at the center of the universe and holds it together by his word. And he is the head of the body of the church. That God is our God who is present here with us this evening in the heart of every born-again child of God here. He is, as he promises, in our midst. And here we read, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Glory. That is our God. The transcendent God. His lordship over all is based on his ownership of all. So let's look then at Christ. Uh, As Savior, chapter 1, still verses 3 to 6, we give thanks to God. And notice also how often Paul gives thanks in this little letter. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven Whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you, since the day ye heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. And verses 19 to 22. Speaking of Christ, it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in heaven or things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. What a gift. What a glorious God, our Savior, and then we see Christ presented as a mystery, Colossians 1:15 to 20. Now, sometimes we're going to uh, read over scriptures we've already read, but in a slightly different context, as is the case here. From verse 15 to 20, Christ has mystery. The image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. See if you can get your mind around this. He created everything in heaven and in earth. He created apparently all sorts of, I don't even know what to call them, entities, other life forms, uh, dominions, principalities, powers. But everything that was created, whether we understand it or not, whether we see it or not, everything was created by him and for him. What a mystery. Especially the fact that that God is my God. His life is in me. It's real to me and in you. It's an amazing thing, and one day we're going to see him face to face. And then uh, chapter 2 and verse 3. In him, in this incredible God, this mysterious God, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him, in that one God, that one person, that one Savior, that one baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, who died on a cross in uh, uh, Jerusalem, in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And then Christ our hope in Colossians one twenty three. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, a servant of the gospel, Christ our hope. Let's turn for a fuller exposition on that to First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, another glorious passage. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you. Reserved in heaven for me. All of that glory, all of that wonder is there waiting for us in heaven. And you can count on it as truth because there's a witness in your heart that says, yes, he loves me. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. If you have any doubt that you'll make it to heaven, right here you have God's guarantee. His power will make sure that you make it. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, many trials. I've said it before, America is highly favored because we don't know what persecution is. We don't know what real suffering is. This country, founded on Christian principles, on the word of God, the richest, most powerful, freest nation in the history of the human race, founded on the word of God, is now choosing to turn its back on God. And you and I are going to be the targets. We already are. We just haven't felt the sting of it yet. Verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than that of gold, that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love in whom... Though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Hallelujah. And then that same Christ, this wonderful Christ, is our glory. Colossians one twenty seven and 28. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope. Of glory. In you, go and look at your face in the mirror when you get home this evening, and tell yourself, "It's in me that Christ's glory is going to be manifested; is already manifested; it's there, never to leave you." Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. And chapter three and verse four. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Hallelujah. And then Christ completes us. He is our completion. Colossians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye, put your name there, are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. And then our identification with Christ. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Chapter, uh, sorry, verses 10 to 17. Same chapter. And I've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Jesus Christ is the only one in history who has totally erased racism uh, uh, elitism, special classes of people. At the foot of the cross, there is only one race of people, sinners. And they stand up, and they are the redeemed. And it doesn't matter what our heritage is. doesn't matter what the skin color is. We are all bought by the blood of that precious lamb. Put on, therefore, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, Holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, being patient with each other, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do, you, do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. Charity is love in action. Put on charity which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which you also were called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, I think I've gone way over. I just got carried away there. It's so good. Uh, Let's go back to verse 3. You are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, he shall also appear with him in glory. And lastly, thankfulness for Christ. Chapter 1 and just verse 12. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Go to chapter 2 and verses 6 and 7. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. In chapter 3 and verse 15, And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. And a wonderful side effect is you, give thanks to Jesus Christ, and worship and praise him, you start to feel his joy. It becomes real to you. His presence becomes real to you. And you are quick to acknowledge and to declare he is altogether wonderful. God's gift of salvation is the truth that fuels our thanksgiving with the fruit of unchanging, eternal promises and fills our days with meaningful challenges and glorious surprises. To all who have gladly unwrapped that gift, may your journey continue to be always reaching upwards towards those sunlit uplands where every good and perfect thing resides forever. And may our hearts forever echo the glorious words of King David recorded in Chronicles chapter two, uh, chapter 29, verses 10 to 13, one of the best passages in all of Scripture. Blessed be thou, O God, Lord God of Israel, our Father for ever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. So happy thanksgiving. Merry Christmas and a joyful new year in Jesus Christ. Great in majesty, transcendent in glory, and robed in splendor forevermore. Father, we thank you.